have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is going to be towards the end of your Bible. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, we are walking through uh, uh, verse by verse through uh, the, the letter that a guy named Peter wrote. And so we are just really excited to get into God's Word. And, and man, I'm excited about tonight because uh, Peter's going to draw our attention to a, a profound truth that I believe if we can really um, allow our minds to, to begin to wrap around um, this, uh, this reality that he's going to lead us to it, we got to dig a little bit, so hopefully you're okay with that. Hopefully uh, you brought your, your shovel with you tonight, so to speak. And, and we're going to dig a little bit and find this, this jewel that is tucked away in the, the letter of 1 Peter. And, and so I'm excited because what I know and, and what you know, uh, maybe if you've been following Christ for some time, is, is our view of God really is important. Uh, there's a guy named A.W. Tozer. He's dead now, um, but he lived back in the uh, 20th century. And uh, he says it like this, that the, the most important thing in a man's life is his view of God. Uh, the way I say it, uh, this is just kind of a country way of saying it that rhymes, and I made one of these words up, is that all good theology uh, helps us uh, have good meology, okay? So meology is the made-up word, and so when we have good study of God, it helps us to know how we should uh, live our own lives and, the, and what it means for us as people. And uh, so I'm excited, and we're going to get to this profound truth tonight, and, uh, but before we get there, y'all, can we have a little fun for a minute? Is that okay? Can y'all play a game with me for a second? We're going to play a little game uh, that you've probably played this before, uh, but it's called, I think it's called uh, Don't Forget the Lyrics. That's what it's called. And so Don't Forget the Lyrics, you know how this game is played. So we're going to play um, a few songs, and you guys have have to try to finish uh, the song, um, the lyrics in the song, okay? And so this first one, let's just give it a shot. Are you good? With it? I'm thinking about how people fall in love in mysterious ways. Maybe just the touch of a hand. Come on. Well, me, I fall in love with you every Here we go. Ow! All right, there you go. Hey, man. All the couples in the house just like, just like, oh, I knew, you know, you was all, you just getting all excited, you know. Hey, but for all the couples that maybe are on bad terms tonight, uh, don't look at each other. You know who you are. This one's for you. Let's see if you got this one. I know you're lying. Now, if you're a couple that you just kind of, you're, you're back in the single game for a little bit, um, and, uh, you know, you, maybe you broke up, um, and it was a little bit rough, maybe this is your song. Maybe you can finish this one. But I keep cruising, can't stop, won't stop grooving. It's like I got this music in my mind. Why? <laughs> all right, all right. And for everybody that's single and satisfied in the house or you're just happy to be here, maybe you can finish this song. Here we go. Everybody knows the Oh, there you go. Way to go. Hey, give yourselves a hand. That was awesome. Uh, karaoke night's going to be tomorrow night um, here if you want to come. Just kidding. <laughs> so singing is such a part of the human experience. And uh, you don't have to um, look far to find music. It's in every culture. It's existed uh, throughout every generation. And, and, and singing is just like to be human is to sing. It's something that we, we all enjoy, we all know in every culture, every society. And, and it's songs that express the emotion of a person. So we sing when we're in love and we don't care who knows it and we're happy. Uh, we sing when we're celebrating. We had a leaders meeting earlier tonight and... Um, we had the best dance uh, to celebrate good times. Come on, uh, because we're celebrating wins. Uh, we sing even when we're sad. It's called country music. And, um, yeah, that will not be in the new heavens or the new earth. Okay. Um, but uh, where does singing come from? I mean, where, where, if it's so natural to the human experience, where does singing come from? If you're here tonight and you're a believer in Christ, what we believe is that we are created in the image of God. We, we believe that God knit us together and, we, and he formed us into his likeness like nothing else that he has created. 
and that, that we, are, um, we are held together by the word of his power that other parts of the scripture says that we live and we move and in him we, we have our being, that, that singing, it's, it's a part of bearing the image of God. And that the profound reality that I want to lead you to tonight, and, and, and it's really not anything that I'm leading you to, but it's something that Peter is leading us to, is that, is that we serve a God that only in Christianity do you have a God, um, and we serve a God who is a singing God. And like this is really good news because God exults over his people, and I've titled this message, The God Who Sings. The God Who Sings. That you can look at other faith systems and other belief systems in the world, but only in Christianity do you find a God that is a God of charity, a God of love, a God of generosity, and a God of celebration, a God of loving, kindness, and singing. It says it like this in Zephaniah three seventeen. It says that the Lord your God is in your midst. He's the mighty one, and he will save, that he will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you with his love, that he will rejoice over you with singing. Turn to your neighbor and say, he sings. Now, what does he sing about? If God is singing, if God is a singing God, he rejoices over us. And that Peter's going to draw us to this great conclusion that God, on the day when we stand before Jesus, if we are right with him, that, that he will honor us, he will praise us, and he will glory us. For some of you that grew up in like the depravity of mankind, which is true, but you were stuck there, this is about to blow your mind that God loves you this much. That in heaven, that there is a song that will be sung over the, the bride of Christ. And that's you, that's me. And so Peter, he's going to springboard off of this Old Testament truth out of Zephaniah, and he's going to lead us to some profound truths in his scripture. And if God is in the heavens and and he's singing, then then what makes him sing? Like, what's he singing about? And and I want to turn your attention to Peter, uh, 1 Peter 1, uh, 3 is where we're going to start. And and, and this is just kind of like a big run-on sentence. And I love this because Peter's like blue-collar, he's uneducated, he's a fisherman, but somehow, someway, he authored a few letters in the New Testament. And I love this because I'm not real bright. Like, I made probably a sub-20 on my ACT. <clears throat> and uh, that's not real good. And so I don't really boast about my academia. Um, but I just love Peter because I don't think he does either. And so he doesn't have the best Greek right here. Now, he's writing through a, a, a person, like a scribe, that's writing this letter. But I just see Peter, like, just getting fired up in this moment. And he goes off. And so the long passage of Scripture that we're about to study is just one, one long run-on sentence that Peter lays out. And he starts out telling us uh, a few things that really just make God rejoice over us. And the first thing that we see is that Peter is going to say that when we speak good about God, God is fired up. And so point number one, if you're taking notes, that that if you want to make God sing or if you want to live a life that that causes him to rejoice over you, man, you need to speak good about God. 1 Peter 3, it starts out and it just says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this word blessed means to speak good about somebody. It, it's like a eulogy, like, like Peter's you Googleizing right here for all my Zoolander fans out there. And he's speaking a good word about God. And, and the, the big fancy word, if you're, if you're like a, a Bible thumper and you really love big fancy words, it's the word doxology. That Peter, he erupts in a doxological praise here. And here's the, here's the thing that we see in Peter, that all good theology leads to doxology. That'll preach right there. All theology, all study of God leads to the praise of God. And so Peter's coming off of this profound reality that we looked at last week, that the triune God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is at work in the salvation work or the salvific work in the life of the believer, that God, he foreknew us, that that, that the Spirit sanctified us for obedience in Jesus Christ. And Peter's saying, man, I am fired up, and he just, woo, busts out in some doxology because 
He just set his mind to some good theology. And from that, he begins to stay, he begins to stay in that vein. And he says, let me bless the name of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ because, and he goes on, he says, who according to his abundant mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not a dead hope, not a maybe hope, not a sometimes hope, not a broke hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, not tarnishable, not going to rust someday, not going to get eaten by those moths. And so your grandma had to buy some mothballs and put them in your closet and cause all your good clothes to smart, start smelling bad. And so you can't wear them unless you're going to be outside because people are like, you got mothballs and not that kind of hope, not that kind of inheritance, but an incorruptible one, one that's going to be undefiled and that does not fade away, that's reserved in heaven just for you, not for your granny only, not for your auntie only, but for you as an individual who are kept by the power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you greatly rejoice. Doxology, woo! Thank you, Jesus. Mind if I praise God for a minute because he's got some things for you and me tonight. And we want to speak good about God. And so Peter, man, his, his blood is boiling here, and he's getting amped up. He's got a few Red Bulls in his system. He's telling our brother what to say, and he says, man, you got to speak good about God because he has done some quite amazing, awesome things on my behalf and on yours. And he draws us, I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things we see in this short passage. Is first of all, man, we are born again to a living hope. If you like to underline, circle, highlight, or whatever in your Bible, that's a great phrase to highlight. Living hope. This isn't a, uh, the idea of I hope it may happen. Like I, I hope it quits raining so I don't get my, my weave wet when I go outside tonight. You know, I, I, I hope that, um, you know, my, my children behave in public. No, this is like certainty. This is like it's going to happen, and it's a hope that is alive. And he says we have this inheritance in verse 4 that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, that God is storing up something for you, believer, that is not going to perish. And this is amazing. He's saying that you got to speak good about God at work because God is doing some things for you. You got to speak good about God in your classroom because God is doing some things for you. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when our heart is set on the profound realities that God is giving us some true treasures in heaven, then our mouth begins to erupt in doxological praise and adoration about Jesus. Or let me break it down for you you just talk about Him because you love Him, because what He's doing for you. You just talk about it because what you've seen him do in your life, you just talk about it because you're excited about what you get when you get to see him when you die. You just talk about him. You speak good about God. And these things are kept in heaven. So we have these things, but isn't it crazy how, how we, um, we get so focused on things that, that in the long run, like, or they're not going to matter. You know, like I love asking this question to people. I'm like, all right, man, I ask this question to a lot of people. And this is a great uh, way to, to segue into a spiritual conversation. And so I don't know if that's, uh, you, you know, your cup of tea, if you're there in your faith where you really want to engage people spiritually, which can be awkward at times. Um, you know, and so I like to ask this question like, hey, I ask this question to a lot of people. Um, Brad, in 100 years, you know, 100 years, what do you think is going to matter the most? And they're like, man, that's a great question. Like, what's the thing you could have done in your life that's going to matter the most in 100, maybe 150, you know, maybe let's put 150 years. And, and let me just be real, like one of the things we give our lives to that is, I think is silly in the long run is, is um, like, like fitness. Let's just throw that one out there. Like, like I mean, we get, on, we get our gains, we get all the creatine, monohydrates, we get protein, weight gainer, we go to GNC, they know us by name. Um, you know, we have all the magazines, where, you know, so I mean, like, and, and let me just be real, like you can eat all the kale and kombucha you want, um, but in 100 years it's not going to matter, Right? Just get all that bacteria all up in you. That's fine. You do it. Um, one of our interns suggested that you try the, the Twinkie diet. Y'all heard of the Twinkie diet? Because he figures there's enough preservatives in the Twinkie that if you eat enough of them, then you'll live forever. I just set somebody free right there. God bless Hostess. I'm glad they resurrected from the dead a couple years ago, and we can get our Twinkie on. All right. Now, the... Uh, this doesn't mean you shouldn't work on yourself or if you are a part of a, a CrossFit club, like that's not, nothing wrong with that. But listen, when we focus on our eternal more than our internal, excuse me, when we focus on our external more than our internal, we have lost sight of the eternal. 
And, and, and it's good for us to work on our bodies, but, but that's, like, that is the, the law of diminishing return. Like, I mean, I can just look at photos with me and my wife, and, and we're getting older. <laughs> just being transparent with you guys. Um, and, uh, like, I, I'm not w- what I used to be. And it's just only going to get worse. And so it's okay for me to work on these things, but if I'm not committed to working on my internal, on something that is going to last for eternal uh, uh, merit, then, then, I, then I've got it all wrong. And Paul says we need to give our lives to things that really matter, that we speak good about God. If we want to see God rejoicing over us and singing songs over us, he says, man, bless his name. Speak good about him because he is doing some incredible things on your behalf. That Peter erupts and prays because he's like, he is alive. I've been born again to this living hope, and what I have is incorruptible. And so I love it because Peter, he possesses this lion-like boldness that he didn't always have in his life. But he, he's possessing it now in his 60s, and he says that, that you can curse me, you can condemn me, you can even kill me, but in the end, I'm going to bless his name. And this attitude, man, it gripped the early church so much so that in the non-church or the, the de-churched or the, the unchurched, like they were looking at the, the way of Jesus Christ and saying, man, there's something different about those people. Like they don't even fear death. Like history would tell us that the Christians, they, like some of them sang choruses. They sang hymns to their place of execution. And so people were going, that just doesn't add up because, like, it seems like they're okay with getting their heads chopped off. That there's something different. Like, how can they have such boldness in the face of their greatest adversary? Because they realize that death in Christ has just become the gardener to a new life. And so what they understand and what Peter understands is that you can face the greatest difficulty with, with joy because God is storing up some things. And so you can speak good about God even in the face of death. But how do we get to that place, right? Like, I don't know about you, but like, like I think like I'm, I'm tough right here. Like, I can talk a big game about, you know, how much I love God and that sort of thing. But, like, if you threaten my life, you're probably going to see me be like, no, please, please no. You're, like, crying. Like, I want to see 40, you know, and just I've already, I'm in 30. I want to see 40. And, and uh, I want to, you know, I just start, I mean, I, I think I would. But, like, how do we get to the place where we can go, are oh, you going to cut my head off? Oh, you're going to burn me alive? <laughs> like Polycarp who says, the flames you're going to face in eternity, they're going to last a lot longer than these flames you're about to set me on. Bring it. Like, whoa, hold up, bro. Like, how can you talk like that, you know? Well, Peter would say it's, it's rooted in our faith. It's rooted in our faith. That the way that we get to the place where we speak continuously good about God and we bless his name so much so that he sings over us in heaven is that we get to the place where we have a robust faith. The way Peter would say it in verse uh, uh, 8, he would say that we've got to love someone you can't see. And he's leading us here. He introduces this thought in verse 7. He says, I'm sorry, I'm bouncing around, but I'm connecting some dots here for you guys. In verse 7, he says that the genuineness of, of your faith. He introduces this idea that we got to have a genuine faith, not a fake faith. This word genuineness is also the word character. It's the substance of our faith. And then he jumps down in verse 8 and 9, and he defines faith for us. And he says it like this, that, that our faith is, is loving Jesus whom we have not seen. He says, Jesus whom you have not seen, you love. And though you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That we receive all that Peter spoke of earlier, all the incorruptible inheritance, the living hope, we receive it all by faith. And faith is coming to that point where you're like, look, I can't see God, but I love him. And the way that I express my love for him, it's, it's unexplainable, but it's undeniable. It's an inexpressible joy. If you want to circle a word, that's a great word, inexpressible. And the word there, it means that, that, that you, you don't have words to describe it, but you can't deny it. That, that as one pastor says, you're lunging at the leash of language, trying to attribute all that is you're feeling in your heart to his glory and his name. But what are words but just breath with a little bit of sound? 
and they pale in comparison in ascribing the fact that you have been changed by a living God. And though you can't see him, you love him. And Peter's saying that this is the faith that we have to come to. See, religion says that, that you have to do things in order to come to God. You have to clean your act up. You've got to wash your hands. You've got to say a certain amount of prayers. You've got to get everything right. That's what religion says. But the gospel that Peter is talking about, the, the fact that you can come to him in faith is that Jesus has done everything and he gives you hope. See, faith allows you to love God. We are justified. We are able to love God by our faith. Nothing else. And it's faith in the, in the work that Jesus Christ has done. Peter's going to use this phrase a lot, that you've been born again. So back in verse uh, 3, he says that you've been born again into a living hope. And this, this idea of being born again is just the Bible's way of saying or Peter's way of saying what Jesus said in John chapter 3 when he had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And he said it like this, that if a man, um, ha if he's not born again, and, and Nicodemus is like, yo, Jesus, I don't understand what you're saying. i got to get back in my mama's tummy. And Jesus was like, no, nah, bro, you got it all wrong, nasty Nick. And he said that you got to be born again, like you got to be born of the Spirit, right? He was like, ah, oh, I got you, dog. And they were like, okay, let's do this then. And anyway, Nicodemus came, one of his followers, right? And that's how it happened in my version anyway. And so Jesus would say, you got to be born again. Listen, listen, if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. If you're born once, just out your mama's we ain't talking about all that. You die twice. You die physically and eternally in a place that Jesus called Gehenna or hell. But if you're born twice, if you're born with your mama, but then you come to this place where you say, God, by faith I'm coming to you, and I believe that you were the son of God, born of a virgin, living a perfect life, died on a sinner's cross, raised from the grave, 40 days later ascended to the right hand of the Father. God, I'm coming to you, and I believe you are who you said you were, and I believe that you love me and that you're singing over me tonight. He says that that's a born again. And you wake up to a newness of life, and there's implications on that person. So born once, you die twice. Born twice, you die once, just physically. But we die from this life, and immediately we are in the presence of God Almighty, an incorruptible inheritance. And Peter, man, he's just excited about this because he's like, man, you've got to get, get wrapped up in this reality. And, 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 and so he says, man, you've got to speak good about God. The way you do that is by your faith. But, but what does faith do? Like, what is it, what's its purpose? What does it activate in our life? Like, why do we need faith now? And what Peter would say is that faith is what brings surety to our hope, and it's our hope that sustains us through our frustrations and our sufferings. And so he's going to say it like this in verse 6. So back up to verse 6. He says that in this you greatly rejoice. He says, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, it may be found. And we're going to see what it's going to be found in in just a second. That faith activates this living hope that allows us to endure hardships. And so if we want God to sing over us tonight, we need to speak a good word about him. We need to praise him. We need to, to love him even though we can't see him. And then finally, third, we need to suffer well. You need to suffer well. Peter, I love this, that he acknowledges the suffering of the people here. He starts his letter out. He says, man, you've been chosen but exiled. All of those who have been dispersed all throughout the Turkey area, Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, Pontus, and that there's extreme persecution that is coming upon you right now, and you're going through the ringer, and he says it like this, he says, you have been grieved, and this word grieved, if you want to circle that word, is the word lupeo, and it's the same word that's used to describe Jesus' grief in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus, he comes and he says, I'm crushed with sorrow, that I am undone. And that life has a way of doing that to us, does it not? Like the only people that think that you're never going to suffer are either in diapers or they've lost their mind. All of you have lived life long enough to know that life gets a little lifey at times. Where you're just like, is this it? It's going to rain on paradigm day? 
I'm single still? Mom, dad, you, you don't love me enough to, to work it out? Cancer? Why'd you let him do that to me? The futility of all of the fun that I once found pleasure in, and now I can't get enough to drink or enough to take in enough pills or enough to smoke or whatever it is, enough sex or whatever it is to, to numb the pain or to find that pleasure again. We all know that suffering happens in our life, but in the life of the believer, it, it, I mean, there's something profound that God is saying that he is working out in our life. And, and guys, I, I didn't understand this, but when I came to understand what God was doing with my pain, that in Christ there is great purpose in our pain. If you need an example, look to the cross that God killed his son and brought the most redemptive work in human history in all of eternity to become the heavyweight champion of the universe, undisputed. He took the greatest sin ever committed and turned it into the greatest glory we ever experienced. That God takes the pain of life and he can put purpose to it. And if you want an example, just look to the cross. But let me tell you this, that God is working. I'm glad somebody got excited up in here tonight. Glory, hallelujah, that God is working. And let me tell you where, what he's trying to do with your pain. And this is, if you've been through pain and you don't know what to do with it, this would be a verse you need to memorize. Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says it like this, Paul's writing here, and he says, and not only that, but we glory in our tribulations. Hold on, glory in your tribulations? Because again, Paul has the cross in mind. He would even say that I glory in the cross, which was ridiculous back then. That, that he says that we can glory in our tribulations. He says this, this is why. Because we know that tribulation or suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, which is the same word that Peter used to describe genuineness of faith. And so Paul uses character and he says in this genuineness of faith, it produces hope. And now hope, it's not going to disappoint you. Because this is a hope that is sure of what we believe for and certain of what we cannot see. Because the love of God has been poured out in our our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, that suffering, it leads to a deeper hope. Or you could say it like this, that suffering reveals your hope. That life has a way of, of squeezing us, right? Like, like you wouldn't be surprised if, if, if I opened this and I just kind of went and squeezed it. You wouldn't be surprised if what came out? Toothpaste, duh, crest, uh, 3D white, trying to, you know, polish them crowns, okay? I got one broke tooth, and so I'm trying to work on it, but it's all right. I wonder if I would be surprised at, at when life squeezes you, what comes out. Like, I wonder if life squeezes you, and it will, you know it. If hope oozes out, or, or if worry or anxiety grips you, life has a way of squeezing you through illness, through frustration, through anxiety, through unmet expectations. And, and God will allow life to squeeze you because for the believer, he's wanting to expose what is in your heart so that he can refine it and allow it to produce a hope that is not dormant, not lazy, not dead, but a hope that is alive and thriving. And so he uses this language here. He says that, that the, the goldsmith, um, that the, your, your faith is like gold. He says the genuineness of your faith, when you're, you're being greed, it's, it's going to be a precious thing, much more precious than gold. Even though it's been tested by the fire, it's going to be much more precious. Now, the way that a gold, I love this, that he would use gold, because the way a goldsmith knows that the gold is right is, uh, is he, you know, he puts it in the oven right. He's got his little crucible, and he puts the goldsmith in there, and then he pulls it out, and he Wipes away the impurities or like the, you know, the metals that aren't supposed to be in there. It's also called dross. You know, like it's probably black, I think. And he kind of wipes away and he's like, uh, not ready yet. Puts it back in the fire, you know, and it's hot in there and it's burning away. He pulls it back out and he's like, no, no it's not ready yet. And he puts it back in the oven and he pulls it out and, and he goes, oh, it's ready. And the way he knows that it's ready is because he can see his reflection in the gold. 
And so God may be refining you tonight, but know this, that God loves those whom he chastens. That when I played football, it was a bad sign when the coach wasn't yelling at me. Because that meant he didn't care about me. If the coach wasn't getting in my ear and, and chewing off my rear end, that meant he, I was like fourth string. He's like, ah, Glover, do whatever you want. But when he was like, Glover, grabbing my face, Max, you better get in there, you sorry piece of scum, and kicking my rear end and say, get back. That meant that he cared about me, man. It's a weird masochistic, self-suffering type thing, but, but you know. And so when, when suffering is allowed in your life, believer, if you're not a believer, this may not be for you. You can do with your suffering whatever you want. But for the believer, it's God's way of refining you so that you reflect him. That, that astronauts, they, they, their shield on their face mask of their helmet is, is lined with gold because it reflects the sun better than any other metal. That gold is such a great picture of what our faith is, is seeking to become, a pure gold. And so I have a question. Are you suffering well tonight? Because I know in a room this size, we have all brought in something tonight. And some of you are getting kicked in the teeth by life. But are you suffering well? Do you see God refining you? See, if you want to build a muscle, man, you've got to break it down. If you want to have a rose bush that has beautiful blooms and blossoms, you've got to prune it back. If you want to remove a tumor that may have cancer in your life, you've got to cut the skin to get to it. And sometimes God will create pain in your life so that he can accomplish his purpose in your life. Let me, let me say it like this, that God may rob from you things that you do not need, trinkets, a lifestyle, a job. He may rob from you something that you do not need to give to you himself, which you cannot live without. How about like this, that sometimes God will allow life to wound you so that in your wounded moment, he can come alongside of you and woo you. That C.S. Lewis says it like this, that God whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. That pain is not the enemy, but it is an instrument to accomplish what God is trying to burden you. Because check this out, this is our only chance to suffer in this life. When we get our incorruptible inheritance, suffering will be no more. And so there's things that God is trying to do in your life and in my life that can only be done on this side of eternity. That sometimes God will allow life to wound us so that he can woo us. And the greatest lessons in my life, man, I've learned through the pain of suffering. I'd been married uh, 13 months and we just got back from Egypt. And we were in Egypt for a couple of uh, weeks and doing this evangelism conference there. And, and it was amazing. We got to stay in this three-story hotel room in Cairo. My wife and I did. Holla at your boy. And uh, anyway, then we moved to this camp and we really started suffering. And, uh, but when we were out in the campsite, man, we had this big conference where, man, we saw God. Um, he saved thousands of people uh, that weekend. It was incredible. And then we come back home. And so we've been married a, a year and a month. And, uh, man, life is good, newly wed, living in the honeymoon, twilight, it's amazing, you know, just afterglows all the time, and that's uh, oh, awkward, I'm just kidding, and so, it was, but it was incredible, I mean, marriage is a beautiful thing, it's, it's something that God has given us, and, and so, like, we, I just didn't expect when we went to ride the four-wheeler that day that Chelsea was going to break her back. Like, we were just out having fun on a Saturday, we were just having a good time, and I wasn't even doing anything crazy, but, but it was an accident. I was driving, and the four-wheeler reared up, and we fell off the back, and, and I hit the ground, and Pop's like, oh, my goodness. But she wasn't moving. She was wincing in pain. 
And so I called 911, and I immediately got down right next to her, and I began to say, oh, Chelsea, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she said, ow, 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 my back, my back, oh, my gosh. And she starts crying, and I never see my wife in pain before. And, and so the ambulance comes out, and we take her to uh, the hospital, and they do x-rays, and, and, and she's broke the middle vertebrae in her back, just kind of a freak accident. And I start thinking, like, oh, my gosh, what if my wife never walks again? What does this mean for all of our lives? And for the next 90 days, she lays on a couch. And it's in the crucible of life that God refines us and he reveals in us what is our hope in. And so, like, we made the most of it, man. Like, we're, we love Christ at this time. We're committed to his cause. We're, we're walking out, Romans 5, 3 through 5, knowing that, that this is producing in us something that we cannot produce apart from a dangerous act of suffering. And, and so we make the most out of it. I went and bought a Wii. I'm like, girl, let's play tennis. So she's laid up on the couch just like bowling, you know. I ran my own business at the time, fortunately, so I was able to take care of her. She's so delicate anyway and so fragile, and I, you know, just help her out in every way. And it put a halt on some things in our relationship. But when you push through the pain and you honor your commitments and you suffer well, you become a living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And if you and I want to allow God to sing a song over us tonight, we got to know that we've got to suffer well. When God, when he sees us speaking good about him because our hearts have been struck by profound realities that he's given us mercy and hope and incorruptible inheritances in a promised land by a robust faith that leads us to suffer well, we see his response, and this is where we're digging a little bit, but First Peter 1 verse 7, the second part, he says all of this, your faith, your eruption in praise, your suffering well, all of this, he says it like this, that it may be found to praise, honor, and and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when I read this at first, I didn't really, I thought it would be like we were praising and we were honoring and we were glorying in Jesus on the day of his revelation. But, but it doesn't say that, it doesn't say it like this, that all of this, it doesn't say all of this will move you, the church, to praise, glory, and honor Jesus. What it says is, is that all this will, uh, will be found praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus. That it's not talking about uh, praise uh, and glory and honor for Jesus right here. But Peter is saying, look, you know in Zephaniah, when we learned that God was singing a song over us. He's saying that, look here, that this is not talking about praise, glory, and honor for Jesus, but from Jesus. That God is singing over us a song tonight. Listen, that God is not angry at you. And God is not some black, white, bland lifeless God, but that God is a God that gets turned. Makes your little club fiasco that you went on about three years ago and got a tattoo that you're embarrassed about. Makes it look junior varsity. Like God, he rubs in celestial praise over you. And what if we were deafened by the song of his love for us tonight? What if we could fix the eyes of our hearts so keenly upon this radical picture that we have a God that sings? You know what a song is? It's, it's a poem that's put to music. And what God would say about you is he would say that in Ephesians 2, uh, 2 verse 10, he would say that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works in which he prepared in advance for you to do. And this word workmanship that Paul uses to the church at Ephesus is the word poem. And so he's saying you are God's poetry. And a song is a poem that's put to music. And God is singing your existence and rejoicing over you tonight. And when you're enveloped by the praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ in eternity, you will have ultimate wealth that is being kept for you. 
And I love this because this was the plan all along. And we see Peter finish, and he says that concerning this salvation in, in verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. He's saying all the people in the Old Testament, they were like, when is Jesus coming? There is a rescuer that is on his way, and he's going to do something that is going to blow our minds through some incredible pain, but he's going to bring the promised land that we walked through, that we thought we had, but he's bringing the incorruptible promised land. And it's, I can't wait for him to get here. And it says in verse 12 that it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you guys. Like the, the authors of the Old Testament and the authors like First Peter and the author of the Paul, all these guys, they had you in mind. That in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I love this because he says, concerning this salvation, all this has happened and you've heard the conclusion of God's greatest work called the gospel. And it says this, that the angels, when they think about salvation, they think about God singing over you and all of your curves and all of your dysfunction, all of your edges and all of your issues and your mama's issues for generations back on back, issues on top of issues, everything that you done brought up in here tonight, when they think about God singing over Chad, oh, like I just don't get it. What it says here is that they long to look. The word long is the word lust. That there's something so captivating about the message of Christ that the angels who are with him for a lot longer than us, they're like, this is so attractive that it's a, a little bit sinful. They're, they're lusting over the beauty and the mystery of the gospel. And they long to understand the beauty of this message. I was uh, so excited the, um, when we had our kids, and, and I was so excited because um, it was just like it was all new for me when we, when we had our Lydia. And when I say when we had, I meant mainly my, my wife had. Um, you know, I was there like drinking the latte. Like it's just a weird deal like when you're in the labor and delivery. Because for me, I don't want to be like the cheesy guy that's like, you got this, babe. You got this. You know, like, and also I don't want to be like, uh, like, yeah, what would you say? Yeah, you got it, girl. You know, like the distant, you know, dad or whatever. And so I'm trying to walk that balance of, like, you got it, babe. Oh, you don't want me to talk right now? I won't talk to you right now. What do you need? Okay, you want some water? Oh, you can't drink anything. Okay, I'm just going to, okay. I just, you tell me what to do, right? You know, but it was exciting. And what was exciting is that when I began to learn, like, what was happening in the life of my kiddo, like, uh, somewhere around, like, 18 to 20 weeks, the, um, uh, they, they tell us that in, in utero, the babies can begin to hear. And, like, like, and so, like they said, you need to start talking to your child. And, uh, and so, like, we begin to, like, you know, it's like if you are around new parents, like, that are pregnant for the first time, like, just give them grace because it's just weird. Like, if you don't understand, because you'll see, like, like, a dad, like, talking to his wife's navel, like, hey, how you doing today? You did there? Are you warm? Are you so warm in there? You know, and, uh, you know, all the guys are like, bro, knock it off. All the girls are like, he's He's such a good man, right? <laughs> and so, um, and so, man, we we started talking to uh, to Lydia, and uh, man, we would sing to this to her belly, and we would talk, and and we, would, I mean, it, it was just amazing because we began to to call her by her name, we began to pray for her, and we hadn't even laid eyes on her, and even at that moment, like like TBH, I would have been willing to lay down my life right in that moment, even though I hadn't even seen Lydia yet, like I would have been willing to like take a bullet for my wife and my child in that moment because God was a He was awakening something in my life, like this profound love for this child that I haven't even met yet. And the day came, it was, it was in December, um, December uh, the 9th, I think. And um, anyway, it was December the 9th, and, and, and the day came. And Chelsea, we had Mexican food that night, and she woke me up, and she was like, hey, I think I'm going into labor. And I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, okay, all right, I'm just calm. Okay, let's get in the car, you know. And so we got in the car, and it was early in the morning, and we drove, and we got to the hospital. And I'm like, it's going down, how do I look? And, and she's like, stop it, you know. And, but she had put on makeup on the reel, it's kind of weird. Anyway, Anyway, and so like, and Lydia, she comes into the world, and I'm like, oh my gosh, 
And she was, her nose was kind of crooked, but she was so cute. <laughs> it's like she didn't have much room in there. <laughs> trying, to, trying to get my wife on them carbs. Um, and I grabbed her. And, and I've done this with all my daughters. That hours after they're born, I just take them in my arms and I dance with them. Because I love them. And I dance and I sing to my child. Now what they tell us is that even at that phase, like maybe my daughter had some sort of faint recollection of this loud voice that she heard. And, and, and even, but even at that time, like they, they really can't see real good and they don't see in color yet. They see in black and white and they can only see about 10 inches in front of them. So even like I'm holding her like this and she maybe can get a, 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 a glimpse of my face, but she doesn't, even, like she doesn't even know how to say my name at this point. She doesn't even know really what I look like at this point. I'm just kind of like a, a blob of black and white at this point, but she knows that there's something that she remembers hearing while she was inside of her mom's tummy, while she was in darkness. She remembers hearing the voice of this man who is now holding her. And then because I continue to sing over her, the voice that she heard was, was more and more real to her. And we had those nights like most parents do where you're just like, your baby's crying. And, and so what we do, I just, I just don't know what to do. You figure it out. And so you just, you know, they don't give you a manual or anything. They say, you just take it home. It's yours. Good luck. And so, you know, I grab the, the baby and I, and I start singing Amazing Grace. And so in my child's sorrow, I'm singing songs over her to bring her comfort. And she still doesn't know my name. It wouldn't be until months and many sleepless nights, and many amazing graces, and this little light of mine, and all kinds of other songs, that she would say, Daddy. And now she wakes up, and she's five, and I live in like the perpetual dance recital. And so she comes in, she's my morning song, and she comes in and she twirls and she puts bows in her hair and she says, Daddy, Daddy, watch me dance. Because she has the security and the consistency and the love of a daddy who sings over her. And my song didn't start when she called my name. It started while she was still in darkness. And some of you have come here tonight and, and maybe you can't see God, but you need to know he loves you. And, and some of you, maybe you can't say his name yet, but he's calling yours. And maybe some of you, you're in a season of sorrow where life has gotten you beat down. But his song can comfort you. That maybe some of you, maybe you've come in here tonight and, and you've come to the place where God, you just feel, I don't know how it, to explain it, but God through his Holy Spirit is prompting your heart and he's beginning to, to pull back some dark areas of your life and he's beginning to, to refine your heart and he's beginning to speak to you and somehow, some way, maybe you would say it like this, that, that tonight I feel like I'm, I'm having a new start or I feel like my life is being changed or I feel like there's something like on my soul that's being washed or, or maybe you're saying that I feel like I'm being born again. And God is saying that you are being born again to a living hope. And maybe tonight for the first time, God is becoming your father who is in heaven. He's becoming your living hope and your inheritance. That maybe tonight he's becoming your promise. God is singing a song tonight. As the band takes the stage, I just want to ask you if God is singing a song over you tonight. Are you living a life where you're coming before God and you're saying, God, I know you're singing over me tonight and I'm reciprocating the good speak about you, that I'm talking good about God, that I'm blessing your name, oh God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
because you have, in your abundant mercy, you have caused us to be born again into a living hope and an inheritance that is incorruptible and cannot be destroyed and does not fade away. And God, you are securing this by your power for the day of our salvation. That God, I, I, am, I, am, I believe that you're singing over me tonight because even though I can't see you, God, I love you. And it's an inexpressible joy that I feel. That God, even though I don't, I, I don't know what your face exactly looks like, I do know what your presence feels like. And God, it is, it is causing me to erupt in, a, in an amazing song. And it's causing me and leading me to be able to go through the darkest seasons of my life trust you, that your will and your plan is good. Is God singing over you tonight? And if God is singing over you tonight, we all know that no one likes to sing alone. So I want to invite everybody to stand up. That when someone sings a song to you tonight, or, or when someone sings a song to you, the fitting response is to sing back. And so if God is singing a song over his children tonight, may we sing a new song of praise to the King of glory who laid down his life in love so that we could be his inheritance. That when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he had you in mind. He had you in mind, young man. He had you in mind, young lady. He had you in mind. That he wanted you as as his inheritance so that you could have him as your inheritance. God is singing tonight. So let's join him in a song of praise and adoration as he sings over us that we would sing back to him. Let me pray and then we'll enter a time of worship through song. Lord Jesus, you sing over us, God. You rejoice over, our, over our, us and all of our dysfunction. God, it doesn't make any sense that... God, you're the mighty one. You will save that you rejoice over us with gladness, that your love, it deafens us, and you rejoice over your children with singing. God, help us to fix our mind on the reality that you are a singing God, that you love us, and that that would so strike us and change us that we would leave differently than the way we came because we have sought to understand the character and the nature and the almighty goodness of God. And that we would sing a song in reciprocation to you because you are our delight. That we would seek to quiet you with our love song and that we would rejoice in you with singing. In Jesus' name I pray.